Well, this is the third lesson, as we said, on the gifts of the Spirit, and this is the, the subject of the Revelation gifts. As we've previously covered, uh, the nine gifts of the Spirit can be broken down into three groupings. You have vocal gifts, which we covered last week. You have the Revelation gifts, which we'll cover this week, and then you have what are called the power gifts. Now, these are just three categories that theologians or Bible teachers, we, we just like to categorize things. Teachers like to put things together for simpler understanding and easy memory and recall. And it's also neat to see how our God, who is a God of order, not a God of chaos or confusion, everything he does can be distilled down. It can be organized. It can be uh, uh, subjugated to classifications. And the gifts of the Spirit are no different. You see the same thing with the nine fruit of the Spirit. The first three fruit of the Spirit are how you relate to God, love, joy, peace, your relationship with God. Then your middle three are how you relate to people, gentleness, goodness, and meekness. And then your last three are how you relate to yourself, self-control and faithfulness. Uh, These things, it's just so neat to see how God does things. His infinite wisdom comes through every time he speaks. We're going to look at the revelation gifts in this lesson, which is the word of wisdom, the word of knowledge, and the discerning of spirits. These can be kind of uh, spooky in that they reveal things that people would ask, how did you know that? How did you see that? And these are very critical gifts to the body of Christ. Vocal gifts are all about encouragement. Vocal gifts are all about uh, the, the, the first set of the, uh, the gifts of the Spirit that we covered last time. They're all about exhortation, edification, and comfort. They are a demonstration of power because when tongues are given forth, and the Bible says in 1 Corinthians 14 that tongues are a sign for the non-believer. But they are, they're mostly, the vocal gifts are mostly about edification, exhortation, and comfort. We come over to the revelation gifts. Now we start dealing with the hearts and the intents of man's uh, uh, being and his mind and his, his soul. Because God reveals things through these revelation gifts. And they're very critical and we need them in the church today. The revelation gifts are manifestations of the spirit that reveals something. These are manifestations of the Holy Spirit revealing some fact or activity in the past an activity in the present something that is even to come that hasn't happened yet. Or it even is a a peeling back or revealing of the spirit realm, opening the curtain between the natural realm and the spirit realm. That's what a revelation gift is. And again, they are the word of wisdom, the word of knowledge, and discerning of spirits. These are revealing something that was otherwise hidden. So the first one we want to look at is what is called in the Bible the word of wisdom. Now, if you recall from last week's lesson, We said that in the Old Testament, you had seven of the nine gifts of the Spirit operating on a regular basis. The only two you did not have operating were the tongues and interpretation of tongues. But under the Old Testament, they didn't have the full understanding or their full revealing of what the gifts of the Spirit were. So under the Old Testament, everything was just lumped together and called prophecy. But a lot of what was prophecy under the Old Testament, we have a further distinguishing or a distinction in the New Testament, and a lot of it was actually a word of wisdom or something, we're going to see what the word of wisdom is, but something declared forth that was revealed to the prophet or even the kings. This word of wisdom, let's look at our definition now. The word of wisdom is not the gift of being really, really, really smart or wise. Heathens have that. What they don't have is the Spirit of God giving them a word of God's wisdom. Uh, a lot of theologians or, or what are called cessationists A cessationist, that's a theological term, a cessationist is someone who believes the gifts of the Spirit have ceased, hence cessation. 
We're not cessationists. In fact, we see most of the gifts of the Spirit on a pretty regular basis. But a lot of cessationists, they try to redefine the nine gifts of the Spirit into something more practical or something more not supernatural. (laughs) And really, when you start looking at some of the cessationist doctrine and how they define some of these, well, you could go to a university and find the nine gifts of the Spirit if you took a cessationist point of view on the nine gifts. This is not, the word of wisdom is not the gift of being smarty pants. That, that's ridiculous because you don't have to have the Holy Spirit to be a smarty pants. You can just be gifted. Uh, there's a lot of pagans that are super smart. In fact, most of our physicists and, and, and uh, computer scientists anymore are pagans and they'll go to hell being super smart. So what's our definition for the word of wisdom? A supernatural revelation of the mind and purpose and will of God. That's it in a nutshell. It's a supernatural revelation of the mind, purpose, and will of God. So when the word of wisdom, when the spirit of God comes upon a person and the word of wisdom is manifest, you have a a revealing by the spirit of God. You didn't otherwise know this, but a revealing of the mind and the purpose and the will of God. And because this is the, the mind and purpose and the will of God, it almost always tends to be future tense. If we're talking about the wisdom of God, we're talking about something that is to be or something that needs to be right now. Now, this is contrasted between the word of knowledge, which we'll cover next. Now, again, if you remember the nine gifts of the Spirit, they are all separate and distinct. There's no overlapping. If there's an overlapping, uh, why are they separate and distinct in their names? Word of knowledge has to do with the past, the past of something in somebody's life uh, or something they did. But the word of wisdom is a word of God's wisdom, and wisdom is always in the now or in the future. And so a lot of the word of wisdom has to do with the future tense of things or what God's going to do, what's his mind, his purpose, or his wisdom, and what he's about to do. And so it's just called the word of wisdom. This can be a divine insight into future events as the purposes of God are generally regarded in future tense and can thusly be regarded as synonymous with prediction or foretelling. Now, we don't use those terms necessarily. They're not necessarily biblical terms. Now, we, they're not antichrist terms, but you know, you start talking about prediction and, and, and foretelling, you, you almost sound like you get into the new age occult of fortune telling. The prophets of God are not fortune tellers. They're not soothsayers. They are prophets that have an insight into the wisdom of God about what God is going to do, what God wants to do, what God's going to cause to happen. But because there is this, this uh, um, the wisdom of God is typically regarded in future tense, some people will call that a prediction or a foretelling. What, uh, or for an example, what God purposes to do in the affairs of man. A word of wisdom can see judgment or promotion coming. Both of those are prophecies. Both of those are words of wisdom. Judgment is coming on America. I, I'm, we would say I'm prophesying to, but really it's a word of wisdom. Judgment is coming to America. But yet at the same time, blessing is coming to those that will serve God. That's a word of wisdom. This can be also be God revealing his plan or wisdom for your life. So the word of wisdom can be God revealing his plan to you or his wisdom, what he wants you to do for your life. The word of wisdom is the best of the revelation gifts. Why do we say that? Because it is listed first, and there's got to be a reason for listing these things first. All the fruit of the Spirit are listed first. The greatest of these is love, the Bible says. And the the first gift listed is uh, word of wisdom. 
So let's look at some examples of the word of wisdom from the Bible. And again, you'd say, well, how can you look at three verses in 1 Corinthians chapter 12 and come to your definition? Well, if they're spoken of and and God's doing it by your spirit, we ought to be able to see patterns repeat themselves or patterns come up. And when we study the entire Bible from Genesis to Revelation with the aid of the Holy Spirit in our Bible study, we can more than easily find definitions and patterns that help us to put together doctrine. So what we're about to look at is a a whole bunch of examples of the demonstration of the word of wisdom, beginning first in the Old Testament. So our first example of a word of wisdom was God revealing to Abram in Genesis that he would have a son of his own bowels. That was a revelation of God's wisdom or purpose or mind for Abraham and all of mankind. And that was promised and foretold 25 years before Abraham ever had it happen. So this was a future tense event. God said, I am going to do this for you. It was revealed supernaturally. It was a word of wisdom. Our next example is God revealing to Abram the details of the Egyptian captivity, its length, and the deliverance of Abraham's seed. That, again, is another word of wisdom. It was something God had prepared off in the future. It was in God's mind. It was part of God's purpose because God is God. He knew the exact length and, and timeline, and he revealed all of this to Abraham hundreds of years before it happened, which is pretty amazing. Excuse me, not hundreds, but two generations before it happened. And they were in captivity for 430 years. The Lord revealed to Abraham his plan to destroy Sodom and Gomorrah. That was a word of wisdom. He said, I intend to destroy this great city and the region round about. That was God revealing a word. See, it's called a word of wisdom because it's not all the wisdom of God. God didn't tell Abraham what was going to happen to people in Mesopotamia. God didn't tell Abraham what he intended to do with the people living in Fiji at the time. God only told Abraham what he was going to do, a word, what he was going to do with a little region. So when the word of wisdom comes, it's supernatural revelation, but it's not all of the revelation of God. It's just a word of it. We might say a portion of it. We might say a fraction of it, a a word. Let me give you a word of advice. When somebody says that, it's even part of our vernacular. Let me give you a word of advice. It's usually just advice. It's more than one word, obviously. It's usually a sentence or two or maybe a paragraph or 15-minute conversation. But it's, it's a fragment of advice for the section that you're dealing with. As a parent, you can give your kids advice for 18 to 40 years. But at any given moment, you say, let me give you a word of advice, son. If you don't want to get a spanking, don't talk to daddy that way. That's a word of advice, but there's plenty of other advice to be given. But in that moment, they just get a word of it. Don't backtalk. I hope you catch what I'm saying. The Lord revealed to Rebecca that there were two nations in her when she was pregnant. Now, how in the world is she going to know she has twins? Except there's no sonogram back then. Uh, There's no voodoo, witchcraft, magic tea leaves. Uh, There's just the word of wisdom. And the Lord's saying, there are two children inside of you, and not just twins, but two nations will come out of you. And that came to pass as a word of wisdom. God revealed to Joseph that his entire family would bow down to him. That was through a dream, actually two separate dreams. And so that was something that was to come to pass. That was in the purpose of God. That was in the will of God. God did not reveal to Joseph what was going to happen to his cousins. God did not reveal to Joseph what was going to happen down in southern Africa. It was just a word of wisdom. 
God revealed to Moses his plan to deliver Israel from Pharaoh. God did not reveal to Moses God's plan for the folks living in Nineveh or the folks living in Tarshish or the folks living in Persia or the folks living in what is Siberia. God did not reveal that to him. God revealed only to uh, to Moses his plan for Israel in Egypt. Again, just a word of wisdom. Moses got the blueprint for the tabernacle by the word of wisdom. He saw what was the mind and purpose of God and how to build this giant portable tent for a portable church is what it was, a portable tent, a tabernacle to wander in the wilderness for 40 years. He got that by the word of wisdom. God revealed to Samuel the prophet that he would meet a man on the following day that would rule over Israel. What another word of wisdom. He didn't say, uh, you're going to meet uh, a thousand people. He just said, for tomorrow, you're going to meet a man, and that man is going to be the future king of Israel. Just a word of wisdom. Something in the heart, mind, and purpose of God that has yet to come to pass. That is the word of wisdom. God revealed to David how to fight many battles by the word of wisdom. Should I pursue? Shall I overtake? Go. How shall I take? Should I pursue? You should pursue. How should I pursue? Go over by the mulberry bush and wait for the rustling of the mulberry bushes. Or fetch a compass around. Or pick up five smooth stones. Or dig trenches and fill them full of water. This was all words of wisdom. How to do something that was in the purpose of God. David received the blueprint for the uh, the temple by the Spirit of God, just like Moses did. He didn't receive... uh, the word of wisdom to build all of Israel or to build um, Syria's kingdom or to build Jordan's kingdom or to build Egypt's kingdom, just how to build a temple. So it's just a word. God revealed to Daniel the rise and fall of many empires to come. That's with stuff thousands of years in the future. Some of it still hasn't come to pass. And yet what a word of wisdom. Daniel, as a president in captivity in Babylon and Persia, seeing the kingdoms that were to rise and fall, the kingdoms that we still study in history, the Medo-Persians, the Babylonians, the Persians, the Roman Empire, and then what will come to pass in the Antichrist days. Daniel saw all of that 24, 2,500 years ago. Pretty cool. Jesus, coming over to the Gospels now in the New Testament, Jesus operated in the word of wisdom. Now, again, remember, it's, it's usually, it's almost always future tense. Some of it might be kind of like today or tomorrow, but a lot of it's future tense. Because it's in the purpose and the mind of God, which usually hasn't come to pass yet. Jesus said in Matthew 16, upon this rock, I will build my church. He's revealing what he's going to do. Uh, With the woman at the well in John 4, he said, uh, but the hour cometh and now is. He was talking about the coming of spirit-led worship and he was revealing to this She was actually quite a loose woman. She'd had five husbands, and the man she was currently living with was not her husband. And yet, for some reason, Jesus revealed to her some very powerful things about spirit-led worship. He said, the hour is coming. In fact, it's already upon us when when the true worshipers must worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For For God is a spirit, and he seeks such to worship him. He said, Jesus said on the cross, excuse me, but right before the cross, you know that after two days is the feast of the Passover and the Son of Man is betrayed to be crucified. So he was revealing that two days before it happened. He knew what's going to come to pass and he's giving it again as a word of wisdom. Jesus said, verily on the cross, verily uh, I say unto you, excuse me, this is at the Last Supper, that one of you shall betray me. He knew that was going to happen. 
That was by the word of wisdom. That was something that was in the mind or the purpose of God. What's interesting, though, and maybe this might be a controversial statement. I hope not. Jesus, as the man, as the God-man in the earth, and we don't understand the fullness of all that, so we're not going to try. He was fully God but fully man. But it is evident that he did not know everything. When the woman with the issue of blood touched him, he said, who touched me? Because he, he didn't know. And many times, the Bible says he would go on to a place, and if people didn't stop and call out for him, he wouldn't stop and do anything for them. And so there's this instance that we see he was, his ministry, the Lord Jesus, his ministry, he, the Bible tells us in John's gospel, he had the spirit of God without measure. But even then, with the Lord Jesus operating in the gifts of the Spirit, they still obeyed the same rules that they did in the Old Testament, that they do in the New Testament. They operated as the Spirit of God willed, not as the person yielding to them willed. So it's not like the Lord Jesus could turn the gifts of the Spirit on or off. In fact, you see that in some other places. It says, and the Spirit of God was present to heal them all, but you don't see anybody getting healed. And some people got healed and Jesus didn't, he didn't even have anything to do with it. It was their own faith. And so here he's talking about things that are going to come to pass like Judas betraying him. But it's evident when you study the life of Jesus Christ and the three and a half years of ministry, he did not know everything because though he was full of God, he stripped himself of that deity and took on him the form of a servant and was actually led of God, though he was God. See, it's, it's a mystery. And the second you or I try to think that we've got our, our mind wrapped around it, we, we've kidding ourselves. You know, it's like having a blanket and trying to pull it on a giant. As soon as you pull it up to your face, your feet are uncovered. Well, then you pull it down to your feet, now your chest is uncovered. You, you can't try to wrap your mind around this thing entirely. We take it by faith. Amen. Jesus said, but after I am risen again. So he knew he was going to die. He knew he was going to go into the heart of the earth for three days and three nights. But he also knew after I am risen again. It's a word of wisdom. Most of Matthew 24 is Jesus speaking by the word of wisdom about the end times. And those are the times that you and I live in. It's one giant word of wisdom about what's going to happen according to the will and plan of God. Many New Testament scriptures are in fact words of wisdom. They foretell of things to come. Many verses foretell what will happen in the very day that we now live in. So they're worth studying. Let's look at them. The whole book of Jude talks about the day we live in right now, and that's worth studying. It's a, almost a terrifying book. I joke about there's only one encouraging verse in the entire Bible. And, excuse me, not the entire Bible, the entire book of Jude. And that encouraging verse says you ought to encourage yourself. Uh, what does it say when the Bible expects us to encourage ourselves? It really lets us know how far we've come as American Christians when we're looking for everybody else to encourage us. I'm all for encouraging services, and um, I'm all for being an encouragement, but the re really the Bible, and the Bible tells us to encourage one another and exhort one another, but the Bible, we often forget, tells us to encourage ourselves. Jude says, build yourself up in your most holy faith. Build yourself up. Sometimes we wait around like the man at the pool Bethesda wanting somebody else to do something for us. And when it doesn't get done, we call everybody mean and cruel and, and unloving. But that's just as disobedient to the scriptures as fornicating or stealing the tithe or skipping church. We are commanded to build ourselves up, 
to encourage ourselves. Some people will live their entire life at the pool of Bethesda with all the opportunity and power in the world available to them, but will do nothing because they keep waiting for somebody else to do for them. But the Bible says, build yourself up. As David said, I encouraged myself in the Lord. As David said in the Psalms 41 and 43, he said, why are you cast down, O my soul? Hope in God. Some Christians are just addicted to pity party. I can't stand pity party. I just shake it off. I think some girl just wrote a song about shake it off. It's pretty, pretty biblical. The song's not, but the, the mindset is shake it off and go on for Jesus. 1 Timothy 4.1. Now the Spirit speaketh expressly, so the Holy Spirit's talking, that in the latter times some shall depart from the faith, giving heed to seducing spirits and doctrines of devils. This is, in fact, an exact word of wisdom. The Spirit is revealing this, that in the last days... Some shall depart from the faith. Hopefully that's not you. Giving heed to seducing spirits and doctrines of devils. Do you know how you don't depart from the faith? Just don't give heed to seduction. Don't give heed to deception. Just stick with the word. Stick with what you know. 2 Timothy 4.3 says, For the time will come when Christians will not endure sound doctrine, but after their own lust shall they heap to themselves teachers having itching ears. That's where we're at. This was a word of wisdom. We're walking it out in the church age today. 2 Peter 2, 1, but there were false prophets also among the people, even as there shall be false teachers among you, who privily shall bring in damnable heresies, even denying the Lord that bought them, and bring upon themselves swift destruction. This is going on today too. This was something Peter saw coming. It's the day we live in. We have some extra scriptures that are worth studying and looking at. The entire book of Psalms is full of uh, words of wisdom. The entire revelation is a word of wisdom. So it's worth studying to know. That's the word of wisdom in a nutshell. We don't have time to cover more of it because we have to move on to word of knowledge. But I hope you can see the pattern here. If you can kind of catch the heart of the word of wisdom, a word of wisdom is a, a simple slice, a fraction of God's plan or purpose he's revealing to you about what is to come, either for your life, for a loved one, for someone you don't know, um, a couple years ago when I worked for TDOT, I, well, actually I was working for an, uh, an engineering firm and our client was TDOT, and I, I had the dubious honor of going to all these businesses whose businesses backed up to I-40 and letting them know TDOT's taking your property and moving you, and by the way, I need permission to drill holes in your parking lot because in a, in a year there's going to be an interstate here. And... Uh, I was just 20, 25, 26 at the time. And so I'm having to deal with all these wealthy business owners who are a little irritated and frustrated that um, TDOT would come and with eminent domain encroach upon their businesses. So I was in this uh, furniture store and I asked to spek with the manager or the owner and they said, well, the owner's here. I said, well, can I speak with him, please? I'm a representative of Tennessee Department of Transportation. Gave him my card and some letters I had that kind of authorized me. So I sat down with this man and he was hot. He was hot to trot and, and really didn't want to give me permission to build in his, or excuse me, to drill holes in his parking lot because he didn't want to have to move. And, and as he's sitting there hot at me, all of a sudden the Spirit of God starts talking to me and, he's, and the Lord says, ask him if he's a Christian. And I thought, seriously? I'm representing TDOT here and, and WSA, the firm I work for, and you want me to pull the Christian card. So I said, all right, Lord, fine. I said, excuse me, sir. I said, I don't mean to upset you. Are you a Christian? And, he, and, he, and it kind of caught him in his tracks. He said, yeah. And uh, I said, well, where do you go to church? And he said, I go to, uh, and he named a Baptist church. And I said, 
And then as, as he told me he was a Christian, born again believer, the Lord starts talking to me again. And the Lord says, ask him if he's considered putting his business in this new development, which was just 10 miles down the road or so, maybe less than that. And I had had very vague recollection of what this new development was. And I said, well, sir, I don't mean to encroach upon your business, but the Lord just told me to ask you as a Christian, have you considered putting your business down there? And he said, absolutely not. He said, that's too far west. Nobody will go that far west to, to go to my business. So now he's getting hot again. And I said, well, sir, I want to tell you as a representative of God, I believe if you'll put your business down there, you'll prosper. Well, that says, that's, I was 25, 26. I'm 38 now, so that's 12 years ago, 12, 13 years ago. That guy's business is in the very spot the word of wisdom told him to put it in, and that is the wealthiest part of that town and does all the money. And I just thought, here this guy is a good brother in the Lord, stubborn, irritated, rude to me, and yet the Lord is still wanting to prosper his business. Though TDOT's taking it away, God is going to provide him an opportunity. That business is still in that place to this day. And actually, I think we looked furniture shopping there a couple years ago. But I wanted to go and say, you remember me? I'm the guy you were rude to that prophesied to you where to put your business. And look, here you are, right where I said to be. That's just a word of wisdom. God does it to help us. That was in the plan and in the mind of God for that man's business. And he's still blowing and going, making lots of money because his furniture ain't cheap. It ain't like big lots furniture, you know, odd lots, big lots, stained lots. His stuff is high end and he's doing quite well. Let's move on to the word of knowledge now. We're running out of time here as is always the case in Sunday school. The word of knowledge, this is a supernatural revelation of a past or present situation, a past or present condition or event given to the, to the believer, this word is, for a specific purpose. So this has nothing to do with the future mind or will or purpose of God. This has to do with what something's going on right now, what somebody's doing. Sometimes it reveals sin, but it's revealed for a purpose to accomplish something that God's wanting to do. It is, it is not the revealing of everything God knows about the past or present. Again, it's just a word. God knows everything about the past. God knows everything about the present. But this word of knowledge is just a word. It's just a sliver of what's going on that he reveals to accomplish what he wants in that person's life or in that situation. This gift is often used to reveal people's hearts and reasonings. So let's go through some examples and hopefully, hopefully you'll, you'll be able to see exactly what the word of wisdom, excuse me, the word of knowledge looks like. Uh, a man of God had a word of knowledge for Eli the priest concerning his two sons. The man uh, spoke to the high priest and he said, why do you kick at my sacrifice and my offering and honor your sons above me? Only God knew that Eli was doing that because Eli was a high priest. All that stuff was kept hidden from the public, but in walks a man of God with a word from God. That word is specifically a word of knowledge, and he looks at Eli and says, this is what you've been doing. This is what God says. And it was a sign and a wonder and a confrontation of the wicked high priest Eli and how perverted he was in his dealing with his sons. If you don't know the story, Eli was the high priest. He's in ministry, but he can't control his family. He won't teach his sons to honor God. And because of that, his sons were basically, they were like the junior priests. And they were taking people's tithes and offerings outside the temple and then sleeping with women outside the temple. And God said specifically, they cause my people to hate tithes and they hate offerings. They hate church because your sons are dirty and you won't do anything about it. And so the Lord revealed that to a, a total stranger. That was a word of knowledge. 
Samuel, Samuel the prophet knew the welfare of Saul's lost donkeys. Again, this is past or present. He knows where they're at and he knows how they're doing. And he said, be of good cheer. Your donkeys are okay. They're over here. That's a word of knowledge. Nathan the prophet knew about David's affair and murder by the word of knowledge. Now that story, that's David. He fell in love with um, Bathsheba, his best friend's wife, Uriah the Hittite, who was one of his best soldiers. And he conspired secretly. And in one day walks the prophet and says, you are that man. You have stolen another man's wife. You've slept with her and you have killed him. You have plotted to kill him and you have killed him. That was a word of knowledge about a past event bringing judgment on David's household. Elisha knew that Gehazi had visited Naaman the leper. Naaman the leper, excuse me, Gehazi, his servant had snuck off and lied about where he'd been, but the prophet, by the word of knowledge, knew exactly where Gehazi had been. He didn't know what Gehazi had done the day before. He didn't know what Gehazi had had for breakfast four days earlier. He had a word of knowledge. God gave him something to know, a word of knowing. Why did you go to the, the name of the leper? Why did you go? Don't we have enough stuff here? Is it a time to receive gifts? Is it a time to receive olive yards and vineyards? Is it a time? Why would you do this? That's the word of knowledge. It's very, very convicting. It can put the fear of God in people when the word of knowledge starts coming forth because uh, people realize that their intents and their purposes and their lives are being revealed. Paul knew the intentions and motivations of a sorcerer by the word of knowledge. He knew what that sorcerer was trying to do, and he called it out. Paul perceived by faith, he perceived faith in a man's heart to be healed. That was the word of knowledge. He was preaching, and he saw a man lame on his feet, and it says, and Paul perceiving the same, that he had faith to be healed. How would he know that man had faith to be healed except the Lord reveal it to him in just a word? The Lord did not reveal to Paul the, the faith of anybody else. The Lord did not reveal to Paul in that service what was going on in anybody else's heart. It was just a word of knowledge for that one man. And Paul said, rise up on your feet, stand and walk. And that's what the man did. He leaped though. He went beyond the command and he got a little excited. I would be too if I'd been lame and now I could walk. Jesus operated extensively in the word of knowledge. He knew people's hearts and their reasonings all the time. We got a bunch of scripture references there. Matthew 12, 16, Mark 2, Mark 8, Luke 6. He'd say, why reason you in your heart? He knew their hearts. Why argue among yourselves? Sometimes he knew and he'd ask them, what are you guys talking about back there? And the Bible says they had been arguing among themselves who would be the greatest of the apostles. And they'd say, oh, nothing, Lord. Like, that's going to help. <laughs> He, uh, Jesus knew about the Samaritan woman's five husbands. He sits down, and apparently he knew about it, but he said he was going to test her. He said, uh, go get your husband. Where's your husband? She said, I don't have a husband. And he said, you have well said, for you have had five husbands, and the man you're with now, you're living with, is not your husband. And she goes home, and she's so excited about it. She says, come meet a man that told me all I ever did. Well, he didn't tell her all she ever did because he probably didn't have a revelation of all she ever did. He had a word of knowledge about five husbands and shacking up with the sixth one. Jesus confronted her fornication, and she was excited about it. Doesn't happen so much today. And then the Lord, when he, he saw one of his apostles, he said, Behold an Israelite in whom is no guile. He knew that by the word of knowledge. 
So hopefully you can see between, with these examples the difference between the word of wisdom, which is future tense, and the word of knowledge, which is past or present tense. Uh, it really, the word of knowledge reveals heart conditions and actions. The word of wisdom reveals God's heart and God's actions off in the future. What's going to happen if people don't straighten up? What happens if people keep going on and serving God? That's the word of wisdom. Word of knowledge is what you have been doing or what you are doing, and usually it means you need to change. So let's move on with our last example, our last gift now, which is the discerning of spirits. And this one, uh, this one gets a little spooky. And let me say this, and I always like to say this as a word of warning. We are a charismatic church. That's what some people call us. I don't know if I call us charismatic. Pentecostal, spirit-filled, word of faith. Uh, there's all sorts of terms for us now. What is terrifying about these nine gifts of the spirit is that you can fake them. And when you fake them, it's just called lying. It's just being a lying false preacher or false Christian. Don't fake these. I am, I am a stickler for sticking with the Bible. And when we pray for folks and I operate in the gifts of the Spirit and the Lord reveals things to me, whether it's through the word of knowledge or the word of wisdom, I, I very reluctantly say exactly what I hear from the Spirit of God. I prefer to search my knowledge base of the scriptures and find a Bible verse that says the exact same thing that I believe the Holy Spirit is saying to me. That way, if I'm wrong and I've missed God completely, which we're prone to do, everybody is, I have not misled the people because I just gave them a Bible verse. And even a Bible verse, even, even the, uh, the lineages and the genealogies, that'll bless your life because it's the word of God. So I say that so that we don't start getting spooky or weird, but we, we genuinely want the gifts of God, but we want to stick grounded to the Word of God. So I say that because we're about to get here into discerning of spirits, and I don't want us to always walk around saying, I had visions, I had dreams, I had an angel visit me. I believe in all that. I've had most of that happen in my life, but it's not a regular basis. So hear me clearly. With the discerning of spirits, if you're always having visions, if you're always having dreams, if you're always seeing angels, you might have a demon. Because <laughs> the Holy Spirit just doesn't take people into this weird mystical realm. Because he's more interested in you having a good marriage. He's more interested in you being a good neighbor. And he's interested in you paying your taxes. And he's interested in you taking care of your stuff. And if he's going to visit you that often, there ought to be some better fruit in your life. A couple years ago, I had to really teach on biblical dreams because there's a couple folks in the church that were just having dreams, like two or three of them a week, it seemed like, and yet their life was not any better. And I'm really reluctant to believe that God's visiting you that supernaturally and your life's not any better. Something's wrong. Something's broken. Because God wants you to have the fruit of the Spirit more than he wants you to have the gifts of the Spirit. But I also believe that if you get the gifts of the Spirit working, excuse me, the fruit of the Spirit working real strong in your life, you'll have a lot of the gifts of the Spirit too. So let's look at discerning of spirits here. This is the divine ability to see into the spirit realm. Now again, we should remind you, you can't turn this on or off. And the best gift that Paul said to covet is the one you have need of in the moment. And so you can't say, Lord, let me see an angel. Let me see a demon. Don't pray that way. You don't have any biblical precedent to pray that way. Say, Lord, I covet earnestly the best gifts. Let me bear fruit for you. Let me glorify you. Love you in Jesus' name. Amen. And go about your day. And if the Lord wants you to see into the spirit realm, you will. And if he doesn't, you can go to heaven and never see anything in the spirit realm. And that's okay. At least you made heaven. When in operation, the believer will see angels, 
demon spirits, the Holy Spirit, the Lord Jesus, and even human spirits. You mean, Pastor Chris, you believe folks can still see Jesus? I absolutely do. I've never seen Jesus, and I don't believe it's a common occurrence. I know the apostles saw Jesus. I hear lots of testimonies right now of Muslims seeing Jesus. And as a missionary, I hear stories when I travel of pagans encountering Jesus Christ in a, uh, in a, in a discerning of spirit. He manifests to them to reveal himself to them. This is becoming more and more a commonly accepted experience among the body of Christ because you can't deny a Muslim who once served Muhammad and wanted to blow up a bunch of innocent people and they say, well, why are you a Christian? Well, because Jesus Christ of Nazareth walked into my bedroom glowing like the noonday sun and told me I was killing his people and that if I wanted to make heaven, I should repent and believe on him. Well, I'm not going to call that guy a liar. Why would they lie about that? Why would they risk certain death to, to appease a bunch of Christians who might think they're kooky? Amen. So yes, I believe Jesus does appear to people. Now, I don't have to see him to believe in him, and you shouldn't have to see him to believe in him either. This is not the gift of discernment, for there is no such thing. A lot of spooky Christians want to say, well, I've got the gift of discernment. Well, then you should discern you're out of order and sit down. <laughs> No, there's no such thing as a gift of discernment. But if you'll have your senses trained to exercise uh, and to discern good from evil, you can have a good discerner about you. Every Christian's called to be discerning. That way we're not suckers. Jesus said, be wise as serpents, gentle as doves. That's talking about discernment. Proverbs 2 says, discretion shall preserve thee. Uh, that's discernment. All visions and trances and even some dreams, not all dreams because some dreams are demonic, some dreams would be included in this gift of discerning of spirits for they are divine insights into the spirit realm. So we would lump all this together. We'd say when the discerning of spirits is in operation, you're going to discern or see into the spirit realm. You're going to have visions. You're going to, that doesn't mean you'll have all of them. You, you can, this will manifest as a vision. This will manifest as a dream. This will manifest as a trance. These are all biblical experiences. You'll, you may look up and see an angel. You may look up and, and see the glory cloud coming in. You may look up and see a demon on somebody. This is seeing into the spirit realm. You cannot turn this on or off. And if this happens every day in your life, I'm going to tell you very clearly, it is not God Almighty. It is a demon spirit. Because when you study the Bible, not even the apostles had this working in their life all the time. This violates scripture that says these gifts are given to every man to profit with all, and they manifest as the Holy Spirit wills. Amen. So let's look at some examples of discerning of spirits. Abraham saw the Lord and two angels and even fixed a meal for them. Go figure. He fixed a meal and the Lord and two angels ate that meal. Where did it go once they swallowed it? I don't know. <laughs> it's one of those great mysteries. The Lord appeared unto Joshua outside of Jericho, and Joshua worshipped him. That would be discerning of spirits. So he saw into the spirit realm. The Lord appeared to him. These are called theophanies. That is the divine appearance of God. That's what a theophany is. Elisha saw a chariot of fire, horses of fire, and a whirlwind when Elijah was received up into heaven. That would have all required discerning of spirits. Now just a side note, because I'm a stickler for the word when I notice details. Elijah did not go to heaven in a horse and chariot. Elijah did not go to heaven in a horse and chariot. 
Uh, sorry for the old Negro spiritual, swing low, sweet chariot, coming for to carry me home. It should be swirl fast, sweet whirlwind, coming for to twirl me up into heaven. Because the Bible says the whirlwind took Elijah into heaven, but the horse and chariot divided Elijah from Elisha. Go study it for yourself there in 2 Kings. We just misread that and we just assume it. But for what it's worth, he saw the chariot of God and the horses of fire and then a whirlwind when Elijah was received up into heaven. Isaiah saw the Lord in his temple with angels flying around him calling, Holy, Holy, Holy is the Lord of hosts. Uh, that would have been discerning of spirits. That was a vision. He fell and he had a vision of heaven. John the Baptist, excuse me, the angel Gabriel appeared unto Daniel on several occasions. That would have been discerning of spirits. John the Baptist saw heaven open up and the Holy Spirit descend upon the Lord Jesus like a dove discerning of spirits. Nobody else saw that. Only John did. Peter, James, and John saw the Lord Jesus transfigured, Moses and Elijah with them, the glory cloud, and they heard the voice of the Father from heaven. That's all discerning of spirits. Nobody else would have seen that unless the Holy Spirit had come upon them, helping them to see these things. Those that saw the Lord Jesus ascend into heaven saw a cloud receive him, and also two men in white apparel. That would have taken discerning of spirits. I believe the Bible doesn't tell this, but I believe, you know, that was off on a hilltop somewhere, I believe the Mount, Mount of Olives, that uh, anybody who was on a different mountain looking over, they wouldn't have seen anything. I believe they would have just seen a bunch of folks standing around looking up. Otherwise, everybody would have come. It was discerning of spirits. The 120 at Pentecost saw cloven tongues like as of fire. We're not even really sure what exactly that means because we didn't see it. That's just what Luke recorded when he wrote the book of Acts. Cloven tongues like as of fire. He's probably describing as best he could what he saw. I saw a movie one time years ago with Jack Palance and Paul, uh, Paul Newman. A biblical was one of the biblical story movies that came out of like the 50s and 60s. And Jack Palance played Simon the Sorcerer. And in that movie, he was able to, through sorcery, reproduce the cloven tongues like as a fire. And in the movie, I remember they portrayed it like a little torch on their head. And I thought, well, that's kind of interesting. Maybe it looked like that. Maybe not. That was Hollywood. What was awesome about that movie is uh, Paul Newman plays this artist who's commissioned to sculpt the 12 uh, apostles and the Lord Jesus. And he can't sculpt the Lord Jesus. I don't know why I'm talking about this. It just came to me. He can't sculpt the Lord Jesus' face because he never saw him. And everybody who he's trying to talk to, this is like a biblical Roman time movie, everybody's trying to talk to, they're just so in love with Jesus, they, they, they have trouble explaining. And so in the end, Paul Newman, I think it's Paul Newman's character who played this artist, this Greek artist, he gets born again in the movie. And when he gets born again, he instantly is able, I believe he was doing all the sculptures for Joseph of Arimathea, who the Bible says was a very wealthy man. And in the end, they never show what he sculpted Jesus to look like. But he, because he's born again, he has this ability to know what Jesus looks like. He sculpts uh, the bust of Jesus. And uh, they never show it, but Joseph of Arimathea looks at it and says, Oh, that's my Savior. That's exactly what he looked like. You must know him too. It's a neat story. I'm just thinking about that with the cloven tongues of like a fire. Let's move on now because we're almost out of time. Where am I at? Peter fell into a trance one day in prayer and argued with the Lord concerning unclean animals. That was discerning of spirits. He's arguing with God. If anybody were to look on him, they'd probably just hear an odd fellow talking to himself. 
Discerning of spirit saw this, this uh, blanket come down from heaven with all manner of four-footed beast. An angel visited Peter in prison and a light shined in the prison. The angel punched Peter on the side. He smote him. That was discerning of spirits. It really happened, but it woke him up and he, he walked out of prison. Paul saw a Macedonian man in a vision asking for help. That was discerning of spirits. That was a, vi- a dream, a vision at the night. The Bible calls them night visions. And that was discerning of spirits. He saw into the spirit realm a man in Macedonia saying, come over here and help us in the gospel. And that's how Paul got direction. John the Revelator saw the Lord Jesus, seven candlesticks, and seven stars. That was discerning of spirits. These are things, these are just examples of seeing into the spirit realm. So let's review. When you see into the spirit realm, you'll see angels, you'll see demons, you can see the Holy Spirit. No man has seen God at any time, so I don't believe you'll ever see God the Father, though you might see his feet, because the Bible does record some of that. You'll see the Lord Jesus, because we have biblical precedent for that. You'll have visions, you'll fall into trances, and you'll have dreams. Uh, That may just about be it. Sometimes you can smell stuff. You can smell demons. You can also smell the aroma of worship sometimes. And you can even hear into the spirit realm. You can hear demons talking, not not manifesting through a person, but just a voice. You can uh, hear angels singing. Not to be spooky with any of this. We don't make every service about this, but these are biblical things we need to talk about. Here are a bunch of scriptures on our final page, page 10, Genesis 15, Numbers 22, Matthew 2, 28, and Acts 7. These are other examples of the discerning of spirits. So for our final statement here, with discerning of spirits, one will not just see devils. They will also see angels. They'll see the glory cloud. They'll even see the Lord Jesus. But this gift is not something we can turn on or off as we will. This is something that manifests only as God wills. Often this gift manifests without any warning and the recipient is left startled or puzzled as to what they are seeing. Because this thing comes on you and you're not looking for it, that's why the angel of the Lord would have to say so many times, fear not. Mary saw the angel and the angel said, fear not. Joseph saw an angel, fear not. Uh, John the Baptist's father saw the angel, fear not. Because they weren't expecting it. They turn on and whoa, there's this guy glowing. I uh, wasn't expecting it. And they had to say, fear not. What I think is fascinating is after the resurrection, when Jesus appeared unto people, he didn't have to say, fear not. It's because it's like they knew him and he knew them and the peace of God was there because they were now born again. A little understanding and knowledge will prepare the believer to fully cooperate with any and all of these gifts of the Spirit. So again, we, we want to covet earnestly the best gifts The revelation gifts are needful. They reveal things that are hidden. They can include past actions and present attitudes. They can reveal the future plan and will and purpose of God. And they can also pull back the curtain and and, and peel it back and reveal to us what's going on in the spirit realm. And all of this is for our profit and our greater good so that we would glorify God. Amen. I hope you've learned something. I trust you have. Father, I thank you for this Sunday school and this pod school lesson. Bless all those that watch and listen to this. May their understanding be fruitful, and may we see the gifts of the Spirit working in our life. In Jesus' name, amen.